Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. If you are joining us on the internet, we welcome you to the Sunday morning service, 10 a.m. of Whitestone Christian Fellowship. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 111. We will read verses 2 through 6 together. And we'll continue on after that in Matthew 17, the second half of the chapter, from verses 14 to 17, our compassionate Savior is what I entitled this, uh, this teaching this morning. But in Psalm 111, read with me from verses 2 through 6. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will never be mindful of his covenant. He hath shown his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He doesn't forget it. From the first covenant to the, to the eighth covenant, he doesn't forget anything that he has promised to his creation, us. But he's full of compassion. And what, what God would not be full of compassion over the things that he has made, the things that he is responsible for, the things that he promised to maintain for us. This is a, an awesome little section of the psalm. And we didn't read verse 1, but it starts out with, Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright, and in the congregation. Well, here's the congregation, and when we meet out in assembly in public places, God is there with us, and His covenant is permanent, whether we're in this building or in our homes or out, out doing our shopping or at work or whatever it may be. He is faithful continually, and He is compassionate Sometimes I wonder how he does it. <laughs> but that is his nature, to always be faithful and compassionate, always watchful over the things that are his. And the Scriptures tell us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and we should assume then that he also owns the hills. As we move into the Gospel of Matthew and our our teaching this morning, we find an interesting thing in 
the message from two weeks ago, the message last week, and the message this week. And from two weeks ago, in verse 21 of 16, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. That last phrase is important. Across the page in chapter 17, verse 9, He reminds us of that last phrase. It says, As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be raised again from the dead. So there's this message, this repeated message of the the Lord's suffering in Jerusalem, but his being raised from the dead. And later on in in this in this chapter, in this section of uh, chapter 17 it says and they shall kill him and the third day he shall be raised again and they were exceedingly sorry one of the things that is really interesting about the apostles is that unlike us we tend to remember the last things that were said in a conversation these guys only remembered the first part, that he's going to be slain. He's going to suffer many things. They missed, they missed that last phrase, that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. It, it's, it's sort of a crime that they, they missed it, but they are so emotionally attached to Jesus, their leader, the one that gives them ministry, the one that supplies everything that they need, even according to Peter, last, well, last month we, we heard Peter state outright, you're the son of the living God. You are the Christ. A proclamation that he is the Messiah, he's the one that they have waited for. And so they're clinging to him and they don't want to hear any bad news. They just want to hear the good news. And they miss the good news on all three of these verses that on the third day he would be raised again. <laughs> There's some denseness in there someplace. <laughs> but you know, our emotions can take us over. And we hear the things that we want to hear. Nobody wants to hear about suffering. But that's what they remembered. Because they all know that suffering is universal in mankind. I don't know anybody that hasn't suffered in some way at some point in their lives. So Jesus has just finished in verses, uh, verses 11 through 13 telling them about Elijah coming that Elijah would surely come. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not. 
but have done unto him whatever, whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke unto them of John the Baptist. They've already proclaimed him to be the Son of God. They were all in agreement with that, basically. And they understood that John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Messiah. Well, he's only, Elijah has, Elijah has only fulfilled part of his ministry. In the Old Testament, Elijah had the ability to pray to God and stop the rain. He had the ability to pray to God and have fire rain down from heaven. Well, John the Baptist didn't do any of that. But John the Baptist did one thing. As he preached to crowds and as he baptized them with the baptism of repentance, he turned the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. What Jesus hasn't told them of here with Elijah and with John the Baptist is that there's a 2,000-year interval or perhaps more between John the Baptist's ministry and the day when Elijah would come again in Revelation. We'll read about him again. He is one of the two witnesses that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. And he will finish his ministry, which was begun all the way back in the Old Testament. Elijah is one of those quiet characters in the Bible. You hear of him early on. You hear of him a little bit here in the New Testament. But you really hear of him again in the book of Revelation. And when the Lord comes back... He will come preceded by Elijah and this other witness. And Elijah will be calling down fire from heaven. He will be stopping the rain. He will be doing all of the things that he did in his first, in his first presence on earth. Because he's going to be dealing with the wicked, the wicked of the world. He's going to be dealing with a world run amok. And so all of this is going on here at the end of these first 13 verses. They are still at, uh, they are still at Mount Hermon, where the Apostle Peter learned that the gates of hell shall not prevail against Jesus' church. They're still there. They've been there all through this chapter and the last one. And in verse 14, he begins, Matthew begins again the narrative. And when they were come to the multitude, the multitude is always nearby with Jesus. They may be up on the mountain. They might be in private conversation. But when they come back to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. 
for he's a lunatic. He is sore vexed, and oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft into the, wa- into the water. This word lunatic here it is translated as a lunatic because it was someone they believed that people with mental illnesses or mentally affected diseases they felt that they had been touched by the moon they felt that they had been left in the open under a full moon and this is where we get the whole idea of, you know, when the, when the moon is full, the, the loonies come out. And they do sometimes. I heard, a, I heard a pastor do a teaching on this section, and he said, you know, when there's going to be a full moon, my wife and I take the phone off the hook because all sorts of people call for all sorts of reasons, and none of them are really legitimate. And he said, the crazies do come out when the moon is full. And I, I don't know of a more compassionate pastor than that one. But nonetheless, here is this father that has said to Jesus directly, have mercy on me, Lord. I'm powerless. I don't know what to do. My son acts crazy. Now, there are some believe that there was some epilepsy involved, but what we really find out is there is a demonic possession here. Have mercy on my, on my son. What, what father doesn't come to the Lord and intercede for his son? No human father that I know would ever not do that. He's a lunatic. He is sorely vexed. And frequently he falls into the fire and sometimes even into the water. He can't control his, his, the, the movements of his arms and his limbs. If you've ever been to a mental health ward in a hospital even for a visit. Hopefully none of you have been in there for a stay. (laughs) Well, Greg says yes, he's been there. (laughs) But you know, if you go in for a visit and you're surrounded by all of these people that are on a locked ward, you get to not only maybe visit the person that you came to see, but you also get to witness the behaviors of all the others around you. If you're not crazy when you go in, you're crazy when you come out because you've seen some of the most horrible behaviors that a human can possibly adopt. But in this sense, at this time, as we're reading, this poor son of the man falls into the fire, falls into the water, can't control his walk, He seems to be possessed. And the father says in verse 16, I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. 
Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? How long do I have to put up with you guys? Jesus says to them, this is exasperation and frustration. It was just in chapter 16 that they were given power over demons and to heal people. And they probably had done some of that, but now they're dealing directly with a demon that is great in power. And you know, we can, we can go in and we can, we can minister to people, but boy, if there's a demon there, let me tell you, they're intimidating. They are intimidating. And if you're not prepared for it, you will be intimidated by the demon. And you will think to yourself, what the heck am I doing here? I don't have power over this thing. But what they forget is they have been given, we have been given the power over demons to pray them away, to pray them out, to ban them from a person's life or our own life. Submitting ourselves to God and Satan will flee from him. I brought thy disciples and they couldn't cure him. Probably a little bit high from being able to do these miracles. You know, after every mountaintop experience, there's a valley that follows. And now they've got a very strong and powerful demon that has taken possession of this young man. How long will I be with you? How, how long do I have to put up with you, suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Were they forgetting to pray in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the living God? Were they, were they suddenly fearful because this demon seemed to be stronger than they? We forget about the power of prayer. We forget about the power of the things that Jesus has taught us to do. We forget about the potential of faith unleashed in a sinful world. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Bing, bang, boom, it's done. At the word of Jesus Christ, Satan flees. So we better be using the word of God the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, to minister to people through us. If Jesus wasn't here physically at this particular point in time, what would have happened to that young man? He'd still be possessed because the apostles couldn't cure him. They couldn't cast out the demon. Well, there are still demons today, and this apostolic power through faith and prayer rests in all of us. 
especially and particularly in the ones that have been given a gift of healing. It's a spiritual gift. It's a gift that Satan hates. He rebuked the devil, and the devil departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. I've said this before, we're all part of a big basketball team. We've got one star player that he can make that ball swish through the bucket every single time he shoots our job is to get the ball to Jesus and let him score the win. We have nothing of our own power. Any power we have is from Jesus himself. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart, separately. They said, hey, Jesus, we've got to talk to you. And they lean in. Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. You were intimidated. Peter knows what that's like. By faith he walked on the water until he saw the circumstances around him and he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down and saved him. Our faith has to be in Jesus Christ in all of these situations. Because of your unbelief, that's why you couldn't cast that demon out. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, they are still up at Mount Hermon at the gates of hell, which is a, a grotto for pagan worship. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto Mount Hermon, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Do we have that level of faith? We can't have it in ourselves. We know our own weaknesses. We know our own inabilities. But all of our abilities are carried by Jesus Christ for us to call upon. Our faith has to be in Him, not in anybody else. But there's a, Jesus adds a caveat here in verse 21. Howbeit, this kind, this strong kind, this kind that possesses people, and throws them in the lake and throws them in the fire and has them acting crazy, this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. Did you pray? Did you fast beforehand, you disciples and apostles? See, that's what's really important. These are the things that Jesus has been teaching them all along. But they get, they get a little big head because, wow, did you see that? We cast out that demon. They, it was like nothing. It did, Jesus is so good to us. And, and they forget to fast and pray for all of the other ones. All the other ones that they are approached with. 
when we think about this, the idea of demons, the general public and some denominations get a little worried about it. They think, oh, they're getting into the paranormal, they're getting into weird stuff. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote about this battle that goes on with demons all around us. In verse 10 of Ephesians 6, he talks about spirit-filled believers in warfare. Verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There is spiritual warfare going on around us all the time, 24-7, 365. It's always going on. Sometimes you're aware of it. Most of the time we're not because it's a battle fought in the heavens against the angels of God versus the angels of Satan, the fallen angels. There is spiritual wickedness in high places. We learn that in, in the book of Job. In the book of Job we find, God finds, he discovers Satan walking around in the throne room of God himself. And Satan says to God, he says, what about this Job? Ah, yes, my servant Job, God says, a perfect and an upright man. What will it take to have him fall, God, Satan says? And God says, well, he's a perfect and an upright man. He won't fail me. But I'll tell you what. You afflict his body. You take away his family, take away all his possessions, give him a horrible disease. But don't touch his life. Don't kill him. And then for the next 38 or 40 chapters, it's all about Job's trial. Job's testing. His faith is tested. Even at one point, Job's wife says, Oh, Job, you're such a mess. We've lost everything. We've lost our children. We've lost all of our possessions. You've got boils all over your body. Nobody wants to even get near you or talk to you. Curse God and die, Mrs. Job says to her husband. In the end, because 
Job did not deny God. His family was restored. His herds were restored. His possessions were restored. The Lord blessed him. And the Lord dealt with something else. The Lord dealt with, in the process of having all that taken away and then restoring it, he showed Job that Job had a sense of pride about being a believer and being a child of God as though it was something that he himself deserved. And the Lord took that that element of pride away from Job and said, here, this is what your life is like without me. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But if you're faithful, the Lord can restore it all. And that's the hope that we all have by being children of God, the true and the living God. But this kind, in verse 21, this kind goeth forth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And then they move on back toward the Galilee region. The Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. Mount Hermon is up at the the border with Syria, what we now know as Syria and Lebanon. So there's a little trek that they're going to make down through the Hula Valley and across the plains into the Galilee region itself. And while they abode in the Galilee, starting at verse 22, Jesus said to them, again, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceedingly sorry. This is the third time in these couple of chapters here that they missed that last phrase, on the third day he will raise again. But you know, that's a, that's a hope that I think we all have that we'll be raised again. But for Jesus to say that he's going to raise again, And be mindful of this, that he has not raised Lazarus from the dead yet for them to see. So this is a whole new frame of reference. Oh, what's he mean by that? He's going to be raised again on the third day. Well, they they hadn't been reading their Psalms, basically. Psalm 16. My God will not leave my soul in the grave. He'll be raised again. But all they heard were the things that were making them sorrowful. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And he said, Yes. 
And when he was coming to the house, Jesus stopped him. He prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? See, that was the habit. The kings taxed strangers coming into the territory, not the ones who lived and dwelled there. Capernaum was home base for the ministry in the Galilee. Capernaum was that little fishing village on the northeast, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It's that sea where all of the apostles were chosen from. So these are all residents of the area. So Jesus says, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Their own residents or strangers? And Peter said to them, Of strangers. And Jesus said, Well, then... Are the children free? The law says that the magistrates and the tax collectors are not to collect the money and the taxation from their own residents. Now, this is the day of the Roman roads going throughout all of the Roman Empire. And road use was taxed. Road use was taxed, much like the New York State Thruway. If you use the road, you'll be taxed. Here in New York, they charge everybody, but nonetheless. Roads were often taxed back in those days so that the money could be used to maintain the roads that strangers would use primarily. Throughout the Roman Empire were trade routes, taking all kinds of raw materials to Rome. And from Rome, the goods being distributed throughout, throughout the empire. But Jesus prevented him. He stopped him. What do you think, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or strangers? And Peter said unto him, of strangers. Of course, it's obvious. Then the children are free. Are we not children, the Lord is asking him? Are we not residents of the territory? Is your house not home base for the ministry? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, Jesus says, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up and when thou hast opened his mouth, Thou shalt find a piece of money and take and give unto them for me and thee. Peter, I got a job for you. We don't want the ministry to be blamed. We don't want them to think ill of us as we go about ministering throughout all the region, all the land. We don't want them to fault the church and the ministry. 
So notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go out to the sea, cast a hook, and take up the first fish that comes up, and when you open his mouth, you'll find a piece of money and give it to them for your and my tribute money. Now, who is he talking to here? He's talking to Peter, the great fisherman. Peter knows how to cast a hook. Peter loves casting hooks. He loves to fish. Go out and do what you love to do and take the money and give it to them. See, it's not even work when you love doing it. It's what comes naturally to us. So Peter was obedient, and he did exactly as the Lord said. He threw a hook out. First fish that came up, look, there's a coin in its mouth. The fish has been swimming near the wishing well. And he picked up a coin. But just like with Jonah, the great fish, a great fish was prepared for Jonah. This little fish was prepared for Peter and a coin. Is there anything too hard for God? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. There is nothing too difficult for Him. With Him, all things are possible. But make sure you're giving Him credit for it. Make sure you're calling upon Him. I can only imagine Peter going out and casting that hook in the water and saying, Oh, Lord, make sure this fish has the coin. I don't want to catch the wrong fish. <laughs> the faith of men versus the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in our own abilities, it can fail. It's our abilities that fall short of God's glory. It's our behaviors that fall short. God's glory is eternal. Eternal and forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message today. We see in it the failure of the disciples. We see the Lord's frustration. But the Lord did not forget about the patient. He didn't forget about the need just because of a little upset with the apostles. How long do I have to put up with you, he says. That's frustration. But he immediately got to work on the, on the young man, and the demon was cast out immediately. Lord, let us be as you have taught us to be, faithful, trusting in our faith in you rather than in anything that we can possibly do ourselves. Lord, we look to you for all things. Even as Paul wrote in, the, in Philippians chapter 4, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Lord, help us define what our needs are. Help us differentiate them from our wants. 
Lord, show us your way. Teach us your truth. And let us follow you. All glory belongs to you. All power belongs to you. All honor belongs to you, even as it tells us in Revelation chapter 11. All power, honor, and glory belong to you because, Lord, you are worthy of every bit of our praise and our worship. We ask you to be with us this week. Go before us. Lord, let our paths cross with someone who is in need of an encouraging word. Let us point them back to you and let you restore them to true faith. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this young man, this lunatic, touched by the moon, who now is touched by the sun. Father, we thank you for him. And though we never hear of him again, he's your child, and we will meet him someday. Lord, we thank you. Again, all glory belongs to you. Help us to walk with you this week. Don't let us run ahead. Don't let us lag behind. Help us to stay right at your side. In Jesus' name, amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a great walk with Jesus this week. Walk with, the, walk with our King. Walk with our Savior. Let him be your guide. Enjoy the day. It looks like it's, it looks like it's a little cooler, a little more pleasant. We had a phone call from a, a, family, a family friend from Florida, and they said, hey, what's going on up there? It's, as hot up, it's hotter up there than it is down here. And it was. Now we're, now we're getting the, the benefit of the cooling that comes with the fall, with the fall weeks ahead of us. God bless you all. Have a great day in the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to him.